Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Thomas Tridel, and this story is called Snowmen. We received the year's first real heavy snow back in November. It fell thick and clung to the sides of buildings, filling up the pores and window screens. That dense type of snow is just the right kind for building snowmen. By the time I pushed my snowblower out of the garage, the neighborhood was already swarming with kids stacking balls of snow that weighed as much as themselves. Laughter as cheery as the reflecting sun filled the air. It's easy to hate snow. It's inconvenient. It's dangerous. In a neighborhood like mine, running wild with spirited children, you do grow an appreciation for it, though. The morning after the snow invaded and occupied our town, I was reading the news as I sipped hot tea. That's another thing I appreciate about snow. It makes little comforts like hot tea that much more satisfying. My eyes scanned the headlines in search of something void of politics, or any of the dozens of topics that have somehow become political these days. I was about to give up hope on humanity as well as finding some light reading, when a local story caught my eye. The relieving headline read, Army of Snowmen Invade Daily Park. Just the type of light-hearted nonsense I needed. Below the text was a photo of Daily Park blanketed in six-plus inches of snow. The playground looked like a wedding cake awaiting the decorator's final touches. In the field next to the playground, at least three dozen blank snowmen stood in staggered rows. Whoever built them must have had OCD or been a neurotic perfectionist. The sculptures were eerily identical to one another. It was easy to see how the author came to call them an army. The article beneath the photo seasoned the plot with a dash of mystery. An elderly woman who lived across the street from the park was quoted, saying, They weren't there when I went to sleep. When I woke up this morning, there they were. Someone must have worked on them all night. So who had gone to Daly Park in the middle of the night and constructed dozens of uniformed snowmen only to leave them naked and faceless? My mind immediately settled on some type of publicity stunt or one of those internet pranks. Get the town buzzing with mystery, then make the big reveal. It would make for a great free advertisement. Earned media, they called it in the public relations business. 
But there was something especially strange about the field in which the snowmen stood. The snow surrounding them was untouched. Not one footprint could be seen in the photo, let alone the deep grooves usually formed by the rolling of Velcro snowballs. The article made passing mention of this odd detail, but I found it to be an unsettling element of the story. The only way it seemed possible to leave the rest of the field untouched would be to drop the snowmen from the sky. The elderly woman hadn't mentioned hearing any helicopters swooping overhead that night. My pondering got interrupted by the digital toll of my doorbell. I took one more sip of tea and rose to see who had come by so early. I checked the peephole, but it was clogged with snow. I opened the door hoping I wouldn't find an enterprising young salesperson on the other side. I smiled when I saw my neighbor Lawrence there instead. He did not smile back. In fact, he looked outright distraught. Lawrence wore his winter coat over pajamas. He hadn't shaved, and his hair was smushed on one side like he had risen from his pillow and come straight to my door. "'Morning, Lawrence,' I said. "'Everything all right?' Lawrence shook his head and asked, "'Have you seen Dev?' Devin, or Dev as most people call him, was Lawrence's eight-year-old son. "'Not since yesterday when he was out playing with the other kids. "'He's probably running around with them now,' I said uselessly. Lawrence looked like he wanted to believe that, but couldn't. Maybe he was being overprotective, or maybe some fatherly instinct drove his concern. "'Would you call me if you see him?' he asked. Seeing how upset Lawrence was, I felt guilty about returning to my recliner and hot tea. "'Tell you what,' I said. "'Why don't we hop in my car and cruise around a little bit? I'm sure he didn't go far.' Lawrence seemed to like that idea. I told him to go home and get dressed, and I would come by to pick him up in ten minutes. The surrounding neighborhoods were still pretty quiet, save for a man who rudely decided to wake his neighbors with tardy snowblowing. There were a couple small groups of children at play, siblings mostly, but no sign of Devin. So what are you thinking, Lawrence? Where might he have gone off to? I asked, intentionally ignoring the possibility of foul play. Lawrence, I could tell, was thinking about that plenty on his own. Well, he... Lawrence trailed off. He swallowed hard before trying again. I gotta be honest with you, Riley. It wouldn't be like him to run off, not without telling me where he was going. You understand what I'm saying? I think I do. I hope you're wrong, though. If someone... Well, if something happened to him, it would be pretty out of character for this town. Don't I know it. Tell you what, let's drive downtown, see if he's around there, and drop by the police station if we still can't find him. The police? Lawrence asked with nervous apprehension. Well, yeah, they're always driving around town. If anyone's got a good chance of running across Devin, it's them. Yeah, okay, Lawrence agreed. That's a good plan. I turned left out of the neighborhood, and we made our way north on Maple Street. Daly Park was coming up on Lawrence's side. I decided to use it as an opportunity to distract him, however little I could. Did you see that article about the snowmen in Daly Park this morning? I asked. Lawrence twitched at the sound of my voice like he had forgotten someone else was in the car. Hmm? Snowmen? No, I didn't see anything like that. Of course he didn't. Did I expect him to notice his son was missing and sit down for a little morning reading before finding his child? Sorry, I said. It's just... We'll be passing Daly Park in a second, and I guess there's a whole bunch of snowmen that popped up there overnight. 
Oh. Oh, yeah, there they are, he said as the park came into view. They only dressed one of them. The article said they didn't dress any of them, I recalled aloud. Someone must have decided to finish the job. We drove closer. Stop the car, Lawrence said suddenly. I'm sorry? Riley, stop the car, he nearly shouted at me. I pulled off the road into the Daily Park parking lot. Before I could ask what was wrong, Lawrence threw off his seatbelt. I cringed as the metal buckle clinked against the passenger window. Lawrence shot out of the car and charged the clothed snowman like a linebacker. I exited the car. Rather than follow him, I stood near the front of the vehicle. A pleasant warmth radiated from the hood. Lawrence grabbed the baseball cap that rested on the snowman's head and examined it. Then he ran a finger down the t-shirt clothing the sculpture's torso. I gave my neighbor a couple minutes to himself. I kept expecting him to turn towards me and explain his fixation on the snowman, but he was totally entranced. I looked down at the slippers on my feet and wished I'd selected more weather-appropriate footwear. I braced for the cold and stepped into the snow. "'Something wrong?' I asked when I stood next to Lawrence. He answered without looking up from the hat in his hands. "'This is Devin's. He was wearing it last night when... the last time I saw him.' "'The shirt, too?' I asked. He nodded. "'Well, we know he's been here, then. That's a start.' "'How?' he asked. I was about to answer when I realized he wasn't asking how we could know his son had been there. He was pointing to the ground. There were only two sets of footprints in the otherwise pristine snow. His and mine. "'What do you want to do now?' I asked. "'Let's do like you said before and go to the police,' he said. "'I've got a bad feeling, Riley. A real bad feeling.' He wanted to bring the hat and t-shirt with him, but I convinced him to leave them. Just in case, I had said. In case Devin returned for them? My true thought was, just in case they're evidence. But I didn't vocalize that thought. Whatever Lawrence inferred from my words, he left the clothes behind. I took Lawrence to the station where he filed a missing person report for Devin. The cops told him they had to wait 24 hours to begin a search but they would credit the 12 hours since Lawrence had last seen his son towards that balance. I drove him home so he could start calling friends and family to find out if they knew anything. We passed Daly Park on the way back. Lawrence was too distracted, but I noticed a second snowman had been dressed in a small child's winter coat, hat, and gloves. After dropping Lawrence off, I went about my day normally. That might sound callous, but in a situation like that, it's hard to know what more you can do. My kitchen glowed with the pinkish hue of a winter evening when my phone rang. It was Lawrence. Have you heard, Riley? He asked before I even said hello. Heard what? Did Devin come home? I asked. The anxious tone of his voice told me it wasn't so. It's not just Devin. There's kids missing all over town. I just called the police. They said they've been inundated with reports. They're starting searches early. Remember that feeling I had, Briley? I flashed back to the park. The bad feeling? I asked. I think something real ugly is going on here, he said. The last words swooped as if he barely got it out before overwhelming emotion took over his voice. Sit tight, I said. I'll come back over and we can go look again. I'm sure the police are doing their job, but a couple extra sets of eyes couldn't hurt. Five minutes later, we were back on the road. I want to go back to the park. Lawrence said. It seemed like a reasonable place to start. 
The parking lot was almost full when we pulled in. My gut twisted when I saw why. More than half the snowmen had been dressed in children's clothing. Not one had been given a face. The crystal surface of the snow had been trampled by dozens of parents who now stood examining snowmen wearing their children's clothing. Two police officers wandered among the dazed parents. One wrote in a pocket-sized notebook while the other took photos of the snowmen. Lawrence ran to them and interrupted their observations. What's going on, officers? Why are all these people here? The officers looked at each other as if playing some ocular version of rock-paper-scissors to decide who would answer the distraught father. Finally, the one with the camera spoke. All of the missing kids' clothes are showing up here. We're trying to figure out why. Have you found any of them? Lawrence asked. Not one, the second officer replied. Twenty-two missing kids and none have turned up yet. Has anything like this happened before? I asked. So many kids disappearing at once. One of the officers was about to answer when a furious scream interrupted him. One of the fathers had snapped. He hauled back and decked the snowman wearing his daughter's parka. Wet snow sprayed around his fist and the head split in two. The snow fell away. The mother screamed. The white round head of the snowman was replaced by the blue-gray head of a little girl. A look of terror had been permanently frozen on her innocent face. Good God, one of the officers muttered, and they ran towards the parents standing in front of the frozen body of their child. Screams of grief and horror filled the air in the park as more parents began breaking the snowmen apart. Everyone uncovered the same horrible discovery, the ice-bound body of their child. I turned to Lawrence, but he had disappeared from my side. I saw him standing a few feet away staring hollowly at Devin's snowman. I knew I should be by his side, but I couldn't bring myself to move. My mind was racing. Had the children been there all along? No, they would have been reported missing much earlier. How had they ended up inside the snowmen? How had whoever put them there done so without leaving a single track in the snow? My stomach sank as one last terrible question entered my mind. There were at least 15 blank snowmen left. Whose children would end up inside them? You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.